We are in the book of Judges. We took a break from that last week, and uh, Roland had a message, and I heard several of you say the Lord spoke to your heart on that, so that's uh, amen, amen for that. And uh, we're back in this section of Judges in the life of Gideon, uh, and to bring you back just as a way of recap, uh, you remember Gideon was one, was one of those leaders that was raised up, uh, we kind of use the term judges, and maybe you're thinking more like a modern judge of the law, you know, sitting in a court or something like that. But these judges were basically people that were to, um, as, as Israel cried out again in faith and repentance, uh, he would raise up a leader in the midst of that, sometimes to provoke them further into repentance, but sometimes more just to lead a victory over the enemy that had been allowed to come in. And many, many times that was the cycle that we see in the history of Israel. It is the cycle often seen in, in any nation, but it is, I think, also representative of the cycle that it can occur in the believer's life. We're constantly at battle with the, the system around us and within us as well that is always warring against our soul. You have the world and the world system. It always is trying to press you into its mold and make you something that you are, are a, a different shape in that way, its shape, instead of the Lord's, if you're a believer. Yeah, also, that the enemy of our soul, you know, Satan himself, is constantly at war trying to uh, win the day in that way and discourage us and take us out and allow us to bring in things into our life that uh, would lead us back into bondage or idolatry. That was the case with Israel. And generationally they suffered greatly from that and generationally uh, people came to a point where they did not believe at all and were lost for all eternity and then there's also the enemy within which is our own fleshly nature and that's a constant battle isn't it and the temptations that strike us some differently than others but nevertheless a constant battle and and the Lord doesn't want us on this cycle of just highs and lows. He wants us to be consistent people of victory. And he has given us that opportunity through Jesus and, and through the Holy Spirit working in our lives. And last week when Roland was talking about the fruit of the Spirit, and he, he gave that message, and I think that was so timely because it goes really with, with the yielding here that is seen in the book of Judges. Now, the book of Judges is sort of one of those books that um, I guess if you were add a rating to it, it's got some violence and it's got some, some graphic scenery if you read it and the descriptions, and we come today to some of that as well. But as I said earlier, uh, in these books in the Old Testament, many times these, um, the, the history of Israel and the the uh, wars that were associated with them entering into the land that God gave them, like in the time of Joshua and then later in the time of the judges, uh, picture for us the spiritual battle, not the physical battle, but the spiritual battle that is going on today with believers in this dispensation, this age, as we also wage a spiritual warfare. And they were waging a physical warfare along with a spiritual warfare. For the Christian, we're not called to do uh, take over lands or to occupy territory here our home is heavenward and we are to engage though spiritually and with the word of God going forth and proclaiming the name of Christ Gideon in some ways is a type of Christ he is one raised up out of his brethren and he goes and leads uh, victory 
And in this section, we'll see how he also leads in judgment against those uh, of his brethren also in that. Well, we're going to pick this up. We're going to read the first four verses. And uh, the title of today's message is Pride and Politics. Huh? What can go wrong with that topic, right? <laughs> Let's read scripture, though. Now the men of Ephraim said to him, Why have you done this to us by not calling us when you went to fight with the Midianites? And they reprimanded him sharply. And so he said to them, What have I done now in comparison with you? Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the vintage of Abiazar? God has delivered into your hands the princes of Midian, Oreb and Zeb. And what was I able to do in comparison with you? And then their anger toward him subsided when he said that. When Gideon came to the Jordan, he and the 300 men who were with him crossed over, exhausted, but still in pursuit. Lord, we would open up your word again this morning, and we count it a great privilege, and I think of the thousands of times that the Bible has been opened here in this place, and the word has gone forth. And Lord, I pray even today, again, that you would work your work as only you can, that you would teach as only you can, that, Lord, we would yield ourselves in obedience to whatever that you point in our lives or those around us as well. Lord, you'd help us to be obedient in following you and doing your will. In Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. Just to connect from the last message two weeks ago when we were in this text, you remember that uh, there was this great victory of Gideon. And uh, I say of Gideon, it was really of the Lord because... Remember, Gideon starts off with thousands of able men ready for war, and God says, it's too much, and he keeps going, it's too much, it's too much, and he ends up with, with 300 men that were going to battle against 135,000 men of war of the Midianites, and the Lord uses a mighty victory, and he does that, and all of those uh, Almost all of the 135,000 are killed, and 15,000 remained and were so afraid that they took off. And Gideon and his 300 men decide they're going to take the battle to the enemy. They're not going to wait for them to come back, but they're going to pursue. And you see a picture in that of, of finishing the task that God called him to do. And so that's what chapter 8 is. It is the immediate after effects of that great victory. But there's still some of the enemy that's now fleeing. And Gideon sets off to pursue them. I love what verse 4 says. It says, exhausted but still in pursuit. I don't know about you, but that sums up a lot of the Christian life, I think. Because sometimes you can be totally exhausted in the work, but hopefully not exhausted of it. You're still in pursuit. And you see this man, Gideon, and those that are with him that are deciding no matter what the cost, no matter who will go with us, we are going to go and do what God called us to do. We need such people in the church today who are willing to just do what is necessary to do his mission and be on mission, which is the preaching of the gospel and the reaching of the the of the gospel to the nations and that's in this age what we're called to do and we need people like that they might be exhausted but they're still in pursuit well 
we see a, a lot of things going on in this chapter, and uh, we will try to get down to verse 21 today. But the first thing we see, and it's in those opening verses that we read, was there was this tribal pride that goes on. Um, and we're going to just read here verse 1. It says, Now the men of Ephraim said to him, Why have you done this to us by not calling us when you went to fight with the Midianites? And they reprimanded him sharply. Um, the old English, they chided him, it says. And the picture here is the tribe of Ephraim. They were, remember, the descendants uh, through Joseph, actually, um, and his Egyptian wife. And they prided themselves on a few things. Matter of fact, they were the largest tribe. We knew they had the most in number. Um, they were also uh, the ones whose territory encompassed the, the town of Shiloh. And at Shiloh was where the tabernacle was located. And so they were the heart of, well, the biggest tribe, biggest family in Israel. They were also uh, the center of really where the, the tabernacle was, which was the center of the Jewish faith. And when they came to Gideon and they say, why didn't you call us into the fight? Well, he didn't call them into the fight because I think it was very clear they weren't in it for the right reason. And when the Lord whittled down those, you know, fighting people uh, that were, you know, men ready to go off to war, he really got down to 300 that he could use. And the rest he couldn't. We know a little bit about uh, Ephraim. And we know that, first of all, uh, they were further rebuked later on in Judges chapter 12. And look what it says here. Then the men of Ephraim gathered together, crossed over toward Zaphon, and said to Jephthah, why did you cross over to fight against the people of Ammon and did not call us to go with you? We will burn your house down on you with fire. They, they were a feisty bunch. And the picture here is really their own pride was in the way. You see, sometimes our family pride gets, gets us, doesn't it? Um, blood is thicker than water, as they say, right? And I have seen sometimes believers, Christians, make a very bad decisions based upon what their family is going through or doing. And sometimes family can give very bad advice. And sometimes it's all about the family, the family name, the pride that goes with that. And here, this great victory has taken place. And back there in chapter 8, and Ephraim, the leaders, come to, uh, come to Gideon and say, why didn't you call us? I mean, after all, we're the strongest. We're the biggest. We should have been involved in this great victory. Sometimes people show up after the fact, after the battle has already been won, and now they want to take the glory for it. And that's exactly what was going on there. It was nothing more than tribal pride. And tribal pride, by the way, will lead some off into a Christless eternity in hell. Separated from him because they, they loved and cared for the things of the pride of the family more than the things of Christ. When Jesus calls his disciples, he makes some very harsh words. Matter of fact, he says things like, unless you hate your father or mother, right? That just doesn't sound right. How would Jesus say hate? And he didn't mean it in the sense that we are to hate our parents or hate that. But the, the 
difference between the disciple following and commitment to the Lord is such a stark contrast that it is almost like you'd have to hate your family. He was not promoting hate, but he was making that extreme, I would say hyperbole really, to drive home a point. If you're going to be a follower of Christ, you have to choose to follow him, even if your family won't show up for the day of battle, even if your family won't go with you. I thank the Lord um, that I have family members who do follow, follow him and that they do love him and they are happy. I remember years ago and uh, when I was called to go to Bible school, I was wrestling with that because a couple of years before that I had had a conversation and with my parents, my dad in particular, and I remember him saying, you know, maybe you should consider going uh, to university, getting a degree, things like that. And I had just sort of floated the idea of maybe going to Bible school. I don't even know if he would remember that conversation, but I did. And I remember thinking, yeah, my dad doesn't really want me to. And I, I respect my dad immensely. Greatest man in my life. And I will say that uh, I thought, you know, as a young man coming out of the military, and I thought, I want to please my dad still, you know, and that was on the back burner, and I went for a motorcycle ride with my pastor, Pastor Gary, I remember going for a motorcycle ride, and, and when we were coming up, to, we came to visit Dick Goopel that day, Pastor Dick, and I remember hearing their conversation as they were sharing some burdens they had, and that, and I knew God had called me to preach, and I was just a, a week or so away from going off to university. And I knew that I should be going to Bible school. And I remember that. And I remember that just conviction set in on me. I never said anything. I just let it fester in my heart. And I thought, as a matter of fact, I met Tim Goopel that day. First time I ever met Tim. And Tim was headed to MBBI. He was going there that day. He was headed back. Uh, and I, I thought, well, that's great. I've finally missed that opportunity no school's going to accept me that late in the game so i thought no i'm not going to i'm not going to worry about mbbi this year and i remember going back we stopped at rosette's cafe in frenchville had a little bite to eat and gary looked at the, across the table at me and he said you know it's not too late to go to bible school if you want to go and i've said this before and given my testimony it's one thing when the holy spirit's kind of pricking your heart and it's another thing when your pastor's also there doing the same thing and I thought, i got to go home, and i gotta, I got to mention that. I went home. It was late by then. My parents had gone to bed, and I went up, knocked on their door, and I said, i got to talk to you. And I said to them, and, and I'm an adult at this point, right? I had just been living at home for a month or so, not even that, because uh, this was, yeah, it was less than a month, and I was headed off, you know, just got out of the military, and I go up and I said, I think God's called me to Bible school. And the Lord had prepared my parents. See, they had become Christians and they were also following him and were yielding things. And I remember my dad saying this, well, if he's done that, you better go. And that was like, wow, thank you, Lord. And I often wonder, what if he'd have said, don't do that? Would I had the gumption to stand up and say, well, I'm going to do it anyways. Sometimes some of you have had to do those kind of things. And I know that. I counted a blessing that I didn't have to fight against my family on certain things. But tribal pride goes deep. It goes real deep. And sometimes it'll hang you up from doing something great for the Lord. Sometimes it'll hang you up from even coming to know Him personally as your Savior. Because you think, if I become a Christian, if I become, I, I, I trust the Lord Jesus and I'm born again, 
my family is going to divorce me. That's it. No more. They're not going to talk to me. And that may be the case. But your eternity depends on that decision, what you'll do with Jesus Christ. Tribal politics. We know a little bit more about Ephraim. Uh, Often in scripture, they're not painted in a good light. In the book of Hosea, and Hosea is is an amazing book there, that is a book uh, literally where um, Hosea, who's a prophet, is, uh, has a wife who commits adultery on him, not just once or twice, but many times. And God says, I want you to go back to her, have her come back to you. And, and he receives her every time. And God says, that's like my love for Israel. Though she goes after other gods and gives her love and affection to someone else, I will take her back. I cannot let you go. But it's interesting, in the midst of that, you know, say a chapter 7, it says this of Ephraim. It says, Ephraim has mixed himself among the peoples. Ephraim is a cake unturned. A cake unturned. Think of a pancake. And you're cooking pancakes on the grill. And... Um, if you, if you forget to turn a pancake, what happens, right? A ploy, yeah, that's right. It turns into a ploy. Sometimes it does. Man, this won't work. This illustration will not work in the valley. They're not ploys. They're pancakes. Big, fluffy pancakes, just so you know. If you leave it too long, it'll burn on one side and still be gooey on the other. And he says Ephraim is like that. They're hot on one side, and they're just raw on the other. That was their spiritual condition. And they carry that characteristic from the time of the judges all the way through to the book of Hosea. Now, he's not done with Ephraim. And by the way, Ephraim means fruitful. That's the name. It means fruitful. Sometimes you can carry a name that doesn't represent what you really are. In times when they were, were mixing themselves among the peoples, and that was a reference to their lack of separation from the other nations, they basically were not fruitful spiritually. Although they were fruitful in number, they were a big family, but yet not fruitful spiritually. Sometimes one person right with God can bear a lot more fruit than a whole family that isn't right with God, right? Psalm 78, 9 says, The children of Ephraim being armed and carrying bows turned back in the day of battle. That's sad, isn't it? They were men of war, they were trained in war, and said, I won't go. We're in, that, in our nation, I think, today. People don't want to be trained, they don't want to go, they don't want to do anything. And as I'm not getting in this whole realm of why, I mean, there are many reasons why, but in general, I think it starts closer to home. Many people will not stand up against that which is wrong or evil or push back in that regard. I think we need more people who are willing to take a stand. Ephraim, even though they were perfectly well equipped, wouldn't even take a stand in the day of battle. They turned back. Anyways, I better move on here. You have the control of Gideon. I love this picture of Gideon because he's uh, he's diplomatic. Ephraim comes to him, the leaders, and they're like mad. Why didn't you call us? You know, and there's a, they're picking a fight with him now. And he had a choice, all right? 
take himself out of the mission that God had called him to do and deal with the conflict and go fight them. And doesn't Satan love it when we do that? Right? That we take ourselves out of the mission of God and we decide we're going to fight with our brethren. And he's winning the day when that happens. And may I say to you that if you are at conflict with someone around you and you're doing so, I'd say this, outside the will of God, then you need to make it right. Because you will not be used of God until you do. Because your energy and your time, everything will be devoted to that. Look what it says. So he said to them, what have I done now in comparison with you? He's not using flattery so much as he's pointing out a positive. He's saying, look, is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the vintage of Abiezer? He makes a comparison. He says, you guys are fruitful. You, you have better vineyards and grapes than anybody. And then he goes on and says, God has delivered into your hands the princes of Midian. They had gone down there and actually taken the heads off those three princes that are mentioned in the previous chapter. And uh, in doing so, he reminds them they did participate. Although they didn't get all the glory, they were there. And he says, And what was I able to do in comparison with you? Then their anger toward him subsided when he said that. You know, he uses something the Bible talks about as a soft word. Sometimes we're just itching to pick a fight and it doesn't go well, does it? Somebody says something to you that's offensive and what do you do? You offend right back. And then they say it a little bit more and then pretty soon the fists are flying. Whatever. And you're right in the middle of the street, you know, in the Old West shooting each other or something, you know. May the best man walk away in the dust, but you've lost everything. <laughs> Proverbs 15.1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Boy, that ought to be right painted on our, our, our glasses on the inside sometimes, right? Proverbs 16.32, He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. See, sometimes in our minds we think, the guy who go out there and just lay flat a city, he's the guy, the strong guy, right? But sometimes it's the guy who's able to go and he's able to be slow to anger and diplomatic. Oh Lord, teach us diplomacy without compromise. That's what we need. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 5 says this, Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as to Christ. Interesting, Ephesians 6 here is talking about people in the relationship of a master and a slave. God's not condoning slavery or neither the Apostle Paul, but he's saying in a Roman world, there were all these injustices and there were all this stuff going on and there were people, there were some, some as high, I think it's 28 million slaves at one time in the Roman Empire. Um, doesn't mean they all were in chains. They were uh, working for others, basically, doing that. Some were bond servants. That meant willing servants. But he just gives them encouragement. If you find yourself free or, or enslaved, do so as unto Christ. 
Be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. You see, this world is filled with all kinds of problems and enslavements and, and other things that will make us unhappy. And yet, whatever condition you find yourself in, we're to be, first and foremost, slaves to Christ. Slaves to Him. And by the way, you'll be either a slave to Him or something else. He's the only one that's the perfect master. Tribal pride. Well, we go on here and we see some town politics. Uh Uh-oh. This might strike close close to home, right? But we've all seen or been involved in town politics, right? Things that are a little closer to home. And in Judges chapter 8, verse 4, it says, When Gideon came to the Jordan, he and the 300 men who were with him crossed over, exhausted but still in pursuit. Then he said to the men of Succoth, Please give loaves of bread to the people who follow me, for they are exhausted. And I am pursuing Zeba and Zalmunna, kings of Midian. And then, uh, basically, there's a very simple request that is made here. Gideon's 300 men are, are exhausted. They've just fought a great battle. Um, it was at night. They haven't got any sleep. Um, he's just had to deal with some diplomacy on the way. And they're hungry and they're tired and they come to the town of Succoth and they ask the people there who should be friendly to them and should be all for what they're doing, please give us something to eat. And all of a sudden politics come in. You see, the people there are thinking, who's going to be in charge tomorrow? If we help him, even though he might be doing the right thing, if we help him and he loses, well then, we're going to be even more hard up when the enemy comes back. And so they start playing both sides of the fence, and they really were only playing the side that they thought would benefit them, and they were doing so in the dark, because they were not spiritually following the Lord. Had they been following the Lord, the Lord would have revealed to them who the victor was. He was standing right there in front of them. His name was Gideon. Verse 6, it says, And the leaders of Succoth said, Are the hands of Zeba and Zelma now in your hand, that we should give bread to your army? In other words, come see us when you have the victory fully secured. They were comfortable. They had their own little life going on. And they didn't want Gideon coming in and interrupting the status quo. Sometimes that's the way town politics is, isn't it? We don't want to have change. We just want to have the status quo and, and let's just keep going. It, it, it may be, you know, it was a miserable existence, but we, we were going to handle it. We're alive so far. You know, we can make a dozen excuses over those kind of things. But there's this refusal that goes on. Look what it says. <clears throat> then he went up from there to Penuel, and that's a place also that should have known better. Another town. And he spoke to them the same way. And the men of Penuel answered him and as the men of Succoth had answered. And so they said the same thing. Basically, 
We're not going to join ourselves with you, even though their cause was right, because you don't have the victory yet. It was all about power, and it was all about the status quo. Judges chapter 8, verse 7 says this, the verse in between. So Gideon said, For this cause, when the Lord has delivered Ziba and Zalmunna into my hand, then I will tear your flesh with thorns of the wilderness and with briars. This same docile diplomat is now in the next town warning them, if you won't get on board, if you're not, well, in other words, if you're not for us, you're against us. You're an enemy. And that's how we looked at it. Can, can I put it this way? Again, there's a picture here of Christ. We see both the lion and the lamb. We see when Christ came the first time, he is the lamb of God, isn't he? He's calling people onto salvation. He's saying, come and join this body, the body of Christ, right? The church. And he is inviting you to salvation everything that that encompasses all the rewards all the riches and yet sometimes it doesn't look like we have the victory right now someday we will if you read your bible you'll find out that in the end jesus is the great and mighty conqueror the lion of the tribe of judah and if you will not go and submit yourself to him today in salvation someday you will be forced at the great white throne judgment, when every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. By then it will be too late. Judgment will have come. He's either your savior today or your judge tomorrow. And you find with Gideon, that was the case here. They could have stopped right there at the word of Gideon and said, hey, you're right. We need, to, we need to get on board with this. We need to demonstrate that we believe God by trusting his plan through you. But they don't. Their politics were in the way. Verse 9 says this, So he also spoke to the men of Penuel, saying, When I come back in peace, I will tear down this tower. Things were not going to go well for them. Their only hope was that the enemy would win. Because Gideon now was against them. Matthew chapter 12 talks about that. There's an account here in Matthew 12 of Jesus casting out a demon. And the Pharisees, the religious crowd, the ones that knew better, the ones that knew the Bible, they're there and they say, Basically, they say this by the power of Satan that you're casting out Satan. And they blaspheme against Christ by calling him the devil. And he has some harsh words to say to them, and he warns them. He warns them because, first of all, he was not Satan, he was Christ. But it goes on, and verse 30 says, He who is not with me, Jesus says this, is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Sounds very similar to the men of Succoth and Penuel. They weren't with Gideon. They were against him. Therefore, I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. 
There is an unpardonable sin, by the way. <clears throat> it's not murder. It's, it's not, you know, a grand theft. It's not adultery. It's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. When you say, no, I will not receive the Son. I will not receive Jesus. And I don't know if you've ever thought of that. I, I hope I hope many in this room, I hope all of you would pray that you have received Jesus as your Savior. But there will be people sometimes sitting in a church seat or they will be listening to someone, um, possibly listening to me online today. I don't know. And they will say, that sounds good for them, but I reject that. I don't want that. Listen, there is no pardon for your sin at that point because you've rejected the only lifeline that God has given you. And it is blasphemy to think that you will somehow get to heaven another way. It's that simple. Jesus goes on to say this. He says, But the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. Now he's looking future. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, Ephraim, whose name meant fruitful, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. Brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you that every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. You realize that every idle word that is said today in conversations, whether private or public, or posted on social media, or whatever, every single idle word, if it's not spoken to the glory of God, it is not. It'll be burned up. That's it. And guess what? Everybody will give account. That isn't only Christians. Everybody. All people will give account for the words that they say. By your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. This is just like the men of Succoth and Penuel. They wanted to see the victory. They wanted to see the heads of those princes in the hands of Gideon before they would believe. There are people in our world today, right here perhaps, I don't know, I hope not, but you might be on the, in the balance between believing on the Lord Jesus Christ or not. And, and you'd like to say, well, if he comes back, maybe I'll believe. If he does some mighty miracle today and I see a miracle right now, I'll believe. Listen, he said this of them. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And he says, you know, the sign that would be given to that generation and to us, the sign of the resurrection. And that's the sign that God has given. And if you reject that, and by the way, it's not without evidence, but if you reject that, you have rejected Jesus Christ. 
The men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it. Because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and indeed a greater than Solomon is here. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Then he goes and takes them with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. So shall it also be with this wicked generation. Jesus didn't have some very nice things to say to that crowd. And again, I see that pictured somewhat in Gideon. He's gentle with with Ephraim but then he comes to these towns and he's not and he warns them when I come back you're going to face judgment and I believe this had they repented at the word of Gideon he would not have judged them had they repented in the day between that he would not have but they didn't repent and again Romans says so then each of us shall give account to himself of himself to God. And we're reminded of that. Well, the last thing here is a tenacious pursuit. In spite of the people around him that took themselves out of the battle for whatever reason and decided they wouldn't join and wouldn't help in the cause, Gideon says, I'm still going to pursue. And my friends, can I tell you this this way? Sometimes this Christian life feels like you're alone. You're not. Often, sometimes it's just our discouragement that things makes us think we're alone. But we can look around and say there's others that haven't bowed the knee to some idol. There are others that are still serving and moving and going. And as a family, perhaps you feel that way. Some mom, dad, whatever, raising your kids and, and you see that. Or your grandchildren and you wonder, am I alone in this? No, you're not alone. Lord takes note of that, but he wants such people who will continue to pursue the enemy to take the battle to them in that way. Judges chapter 8 verse 4, remember I underlined that, exhausted but still in pursuit. That's the character of these guys. And we know that they were ready to go. They were going to follow in that way. And we know he this group of 300 with Gideon continued the fight sometimes that's just what we have to do is continue it to serve long after your turn is over sometimes that's the way it is Judges chapter 8 verse 10 now Ziba and Zalmunna were at Karakar and their armies with them about 15,000 all who left of the army of the people of the east all who were left For 120,000 men who drew the sword had fallen. Then Gideon went up by the road of those who dwell in the tents of the east of Nobah and Jogbeha, and he attacked the army while the camp felt secure. By the way, your feeling of security isn't security, just so you know. Sometimes we like the feeling of security, but... The reality is we really need security if we're going to be safe, right? And if you're lulled into sleep thinking you're safe and secure because 
doesn't seem like there's a battle around you and you're on the wrong side of that battle, let me just tell you that someday judgment will fall. When Ziba and Zalmunna fled, he pursued them and he took the two kings of Midian, Ziba and Zalmunna, and routed the whole army. <laughs> Again, you have 15,000 against 300. And he routes their army. And I'm thinking, wow, how does that happen? Because, again, God was in it. Sometimes an impossible task, humanly speaking, and we would just give up saying there's no way. And yet there's always a way when the Lord is in it. Isaiah 40, 31, it says, But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Love that verse. Because there's a lot of weary, weary days in times you don't even feel like you can get up. And yet he promises if you will wait on him, he will renew your strength. He will give you wings like eagles. And you will be able to run and not be weary and walk and not faint. That's all part of the, of the race that is set before us as believers. Verse 13, Then Gideon the son of Joash returned from battle from the ascent of Harry's. And he caught a young man of the men of Succoth and interrogated him. And he wrote down for him the leaders of Succoth and its elders, 70 and 7 men. He got some information. These were the men that rejected Gideon and his cause. Then he came to the men of Succoth and he said, Here are Ziba and Zalmunna, about whom you ridiculed me, saying, Are the hands of Ziba and Zalmunna now in your hand? That... Um, yeah, that uh, we should give bread to you, your weary men. And that was what they said yesterday. And he took the elders of the city and thorns of the wilderness and briars, and with them he taught the men of Succoth. Then he tore down the tower of Penuel and killed the men of the city. Sounds pretty harsh. It just sounds like, well, that's not something you should do, and that. I would agree, we're not called to the same battle Gideon was. But Christ will have the final answer. And those that reject him, those that build their little kingdoms here without him, they will suffer great loss someday. And it will be the loss of everything that put them in their little world of power or whatever else. Because ultimately he's the king of kings and lord of lords. And that's how the Bible shows him to return to this earth as the conquering lion of the tribe of Judah. And he said to Ziba and Zalmunna, What kind of men were they whom you killed at Tabor? And so they answered, are you, uh, As you are, so were they. Each one resembled the son of a king. And then he said, They were my brothers, the sons of my mother. As the Lord lives, lives if you had let them live, I would not kill you. And he said to Jether, his firstborn, Rise, kill them. But the youth would not draw his sword, and he was afraid because he was still a youth. And so Ziba and Zalmunna said, Rise yourself and kill us. For as a man is, so is his strength. And so Gideon arose and killed Ziba and Zalmunna and took the crescent ornaments that were on their camels' necks. That records the victory of Gideon. As I said, Something that isn't a real peaceful scene at the end, although it brought about peace. And ultimately, peace has to be fought for. 
I am thankful that the peace that you can have and I can have between God and me and and God and you has already been accomplished at a great battle. That battle was at the cross of Christ. When he was yet exhausted, he still pursued. At any given time, he could have called down 10,000 angels, couldn't he have? But he did not. Because it wasn't done yet. And he finally, when he said, it is finished, he gave up his spirit. He gave up the ghost, as the Bible says, meaning that he died. And he died accomplishing the penalty for sin. Died accomplishing the penalty for my rebellion. For my lack of gathering on his side. And he said, I've made a way for you now to come into my presence. And on the third day he rose again, victorious over death and over sin and everything that is bad and evil. And someday he's coming again. And he's coming again with judgment. My friends, be with him in faith now. Choose who you will decide to follow now. Your eternity depends on it. Lord, we're